All right, our Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. And again, in our reading through Exodus, we have been following the Israelites both in slavery in Egypt, but also uh, how God has delivered them out of that. And we have seen his mighty work. And uh, they got to the other side of the Red Sea, and they sing God's praises. And then immediately, what we saw last week is some grumbling about him because of not having water. Like, he, he can't do stuff with water. We just saw him divide the Red Sea. Anyway, chapter 16, verses 1 through 10 is then where we pick up their story. Before we read, though, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. God, we pray that you would help us this morning to have ears to hear your word, to have minds that are ready to think and to meditate on your word, to have hearts that are soft and ready to be changed by your word. God, that by your word and by your spirit, we would be formed more and more into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 16, verses 1 through 10. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the, this, desert, this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the, toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Mm. Cliffhanger for next week. What's going to happen next? And that's actually where we left off last week in Luke. So as we go to our uh, gospel reading in the book of Luke, what we saw uh, last week was uh, was a priest named Zechariah who had been chosen by Lot uh, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And we had left off with verse 11, but just to pick up the story there, we'll read verse 11 again, and then go through 25. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. 
He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. We uh, started a brand new sermon series last week uh, on Paul's letter to uh, the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. And just, oh, nope, sorry, uh, it's good for me now. Uh, I forgot that we're going to read it first, then I'll say what it's going to say. Here we go. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Uh, if you'll go ahead and get this on the next, just the next slide. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Um, and one of the beautiful things about this passage that is, should give us all hope <laughs> is uh, when Paul talks about not being able to remember who all he baptized, he's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I didn't baptize anybody except Crispus and Gaius. And he's like, oh, yeah, also Stephanus. I did, I did baptize him um, and, and his whole household. Uh, yeah, I don't remember if there's anybody else. <laughs> it's like, Paul, what are you doing there? Oh, same thing we do. <laughs> eh, kind of forgetful there. And that seems to be just fine. Okay. Now, I got it. But I do want to point out uh, what we're talking about again. That's the uh, kind of boot of Italy up there in the top left corner. And we're talking about the area right in the middle of the screen. This is Corinth. If we zoom in on that, um, there is this little dot right there in the little red line. And that red line we talked about last week is where there is a canal now, but there wasn't at the time. And so people would haul their boats up and over and uh, to get from one side to the other. And um, this was a, a city that people would stop in 
during those kinds of travels. And so there was a lot of kind of wild living, but also from all parts of the world. It's all kind of coming together right there in Corinth. And uh, this is where there is this church. And there is a church that has started in Corinth. You read about how that began in Acts 18, as Paul comes uh, comes into town. And, um, and now he has written this letter because, well, they're getting pulled in both directions, just like every church always is. They're getting pulled into being formed into Christ-likeness as the people of God. But they're also facing these pressures of being conformed to the ways of the world that surrounds them. And in some ways, they have been formed more like the, um, like the world around them. And Paul is writing to them and saying, uh-uh, that's not how this goes. Um, so let's get back on track. Here is the uh, Bible Project poster at the end of their video. We showed this last week and how uh, the, the gospel is an announcement about Jesus that opens up a new reality. And we're going to look today at this kind of section, this first section here. We're just looking at these first, um, you know, 10 through 17. Was that eight verses? But this is really the, uh, the theme of the first four chapters of the book is the divisions that we see taking place in um, the church in Corinth. And particularly the, oh, I follow Paul. Oh, I follow Apollos. Oh, I follow Cephas. That's Peter's Aramaic name, by the way. Um, or I follow Christ. And Paul's like, what are you doing? <laughs> that this is, the church is a community of people who are centered around Jesus, not around these other leaders. And so this is, uh, because of the resurrection, we have a reason for unity. So that's what, um, that's what we're going to be talking about now and in the weeks to come, although we talk about it in a few different ways. But as we get into this, I want us to, to think about it in these terms. Um, was, was church unity a problem for Corinth exclusively? Or do you think any of the other churches also had problems with unity? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did. And um, I was actually going to go through and read you a bunch of the other passages, like to the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae, the church in Philippi, um, the church in Galatia, that you see that we're, we don't have time for that. Today. But, um, but in all these letters that Paul's writing to these different churches, like he keeps having to hit on this issue. Why do you think he keeps having to hit on the issue of church unity? Think maybe there's a problem that that just doesn't come naturally? <laughs> that instead there's this division thing that takes place? Look at this one because, hey, why not? Pardon Galatians, but first I want to tell you, there's childhood stuff. So when we think about uh, kind of things that divide us, think about the things that are important to us, especially identity kinds of things, especially things that aren't so much superficial identity. We have some of those too, you know, you cheer for that team, I cheer for this team and be divided on that. Um, but there's things that are even more core identity sort of things. And so uh, you think about, is gender a big deal? People get 
pretty touchy about the topic of gender. Yeah, yeah, why? That seems like a pretty core identity sort of a thing, doesn't it? And we have lots of, you know, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Have those kinds of conversations. And, uh, and this goes, let me tell you. When I was uh, in elementary school, I remember having these kinds of conversations around the, the lunch cafeteria lunchroom table. And here's how it went. You'd have all the girls around the table and all the boys around the table who were basically sticking up for their tribe. <laughs> Whatever, whichever one I am, I'm going to argue that that's the best one. And that's what everybody should want to be because that's, that's the right one. And we had very um, intellectual debate. We used arguments such like the girls would say things like um, boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider and girls go to Mars to get more candy bars, real high level stuff. But then the boys, we would come back and we would come back with uh, things as clever as, uh-uh, girls go to Jupiter to get more stupider and boys go to Mars to get more candy bars. So there. And round and round it went. Um, sticking up for our side, sticking up for our tribe and trying to make the other side look bad because, well, it's not us, it's them. <laughs> I got to tell you, a lot of what I hear today sounds just like that. <laughs> it's just like that all over again. The arguments are about as intelligent and the purpose is roughly the same. And there's this division that comes even uh, in something like gender. You go, yeah, but that's pretty significant, right? And then you go to a passage like Galatians uh, 3, where Paul is talking to the church in Galatians. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, or there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You hear this? He takes some of the major dividing points between male and female. He takes the major, major dividing point between Jew and Gentile. My goodness. Or between uh, slave and free. These would be categories that you would have reason for division culturally. And it doesn't, it's not that these are um, no longer anything. It's not that they're no longer significant. It's that these are no longer reasons for division. That we have been baptized not into being male or being female. We have not been baptized into being Jewish or Gentile. We have not been baptized into being slave or free. We've been baptized into Jesus. We've been baptized into Christ and the Messiah who came for everybody to bring us into reconciliation with God and with each other. And so when he says you are all children of God through faith, that this is this bringing us together in this one family. Now, it's one thing for, um, for elementary boys and girls around the cafeteria table to have these kinds of ridiculous arguments. Can you imagine that same thing happening at the dinner table of a family? With a brother and sister having this kind of an argument? And the parents picking sides? And like the mom starts saying, yeah, girls are better and boys are dumb. And like the dad's like, no, no, girls are dumb and boys are awesome. And what? No, that doesn't make any sense. It makes sense with a bunch of kids at an uh, elementary school cafeteria table. It does not at all make sense 
in the dynamics of a family with mature parents. <laughs> and what Paul is saying is, grow up. <laughs> we are part of the same family. We have the same father who has called us together, who says, no, 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 we don't tear each other down. As a part of the same family, we build each other up. We support each other in love. We are a family together in Christ. And all those divisions that you see, like all those reasons for division, that's not reason for division anymore. Those are differences that we can rejoice in and that we can work together with. And we can celebrate even um, the differences in ways in which, in where you have unity that doesn't look like uniformity. And so in order for, as a family around the dinner table, in order for us to be united as a family, we don't all have to be boys. We don't all have to be girls. We don't all have to be whatever. We can be different and still united. This is what Paul is saying in letter after letter to church after church. Saying you see differences and think that means you have to divide. But you don't. That's the way of the world. That's the way that naturally comes as a division in the world. And you go back and you look through like the whole history of um, <laughs> the whole of the Old Testament and you see this again and again and again. Division after division after division for one reason after another after another. And what we see in uh, the New Testament is the unity that we have in Christ is greater than the reason for division. And so he says in, to the church in Corinth, here, you've got these different people that you're following. Is it wrong to listen to Paul? Is it wrong? Should people not be listening to Apollos? Should people not be listening to Peter? Is that what his argument is? No. The problem isn't that people are listening to Paul or Apollos or Peter. The problem is they're seeing the differences there as reason to divide. It's like, you weren't baptized into Paul. This is not a reason to divide. Like, we are all a part of the same team. We are all part of the same family. Whatever metaphor you want to use, we're on the same side. We should be those who are working as he says to Philippians, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Striving together as one. And this is the same kind of imagery you get later on in 1 Corinthians in uh, chapter 3 when he comes back to this same topic about the leaders. And he's like, look, one person may be planting, another person may be watering. That doesn't mean we're working in opposition to each other. <laughs> we're working together for the same purpose. We are uh, together in this. Now, you can probably think of other ways that we divide today. Yeah? Differences of who knows what. You can think of uh, the arguments that people use as to why one is better than the other, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to tell you, uh, the unity that we have in Christ should be bigger than all of that. There was a comedian years ago who really nailed this when he says, um, this was uh, Emo Phillips. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the guy. He's an odd duck. <laughs> uh, and I think on purpose. But anyway. But he says, um, this is a little dark humor. You'll have to yeah, just go along with that. He says, I once 
Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump and I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. He said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? Funny stuff. He said, <laughs> he said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? He said, Northern conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lake Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. (laughs) Makes the point, though, doesn't it? (laughs) With all this they have in common, and yet the one thing they have different, that's the reason for division, that's the reason to, uh, yeah, just be done with you. The amount of times a day that you can just cut somebody off completely because, oh, I heard that they listen to so-and-so. I heard they watch such-and-such. I heard they read such, (laughs) whatever it is. And so I won't talk to them. I won't listen to a word they have to say because if they are like that, we have nothing in common. Oh, they might say that they believe in Jesus, but it must all be a lie because anybody who believes in Jesus would agree with me 100% on everything. Nope. <laughs> I tell people there's nobody that I agree with 100% on everything, and even myself is only about 95%. <laughs> I mean, really, think about it. You can go back in time and look at your past self, and you don't even agree with yourself. There are things that you disagree with your own self about from the past, and, <laughs> spoiler alert, there are things coming in your future <laughs> that right now you would disagree with. But later, you won't. Don't know what those are yet. That's how it is how we grow and everybody is going through (laughs) that same kind of growth and so we will find that if you really drill down you will find something that you disagree with with everybody and so the point is not let's have uniformity where we all agree on everything the point is (laughs) let's have unity where we understand that the unity we have in christ is greater than all of that And so if you want to listen to Paul or you want to listen to Apollos or you want to listen to Cephas, that's fine. Don't you dare try to divide the church over that. What we have in Christ is so much more than any of that. And all these guys are really trying. What was it we had on the? Yeah, leaders and the leaders and teachers are servants and uh, it's not a popularity contest. This is a, the church is a community of people centered around Jesus. Unfortunately, today, uh, there are people who would feel more at home. Talk about family language. People who would feel more at home with somebody who does not share their faith in Jesus but who votes the same way as them. Then they would feel at home with somebody who votes differently, but shares the same faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
If that is where we are, we have got things out of order. And we have been discipled by people who are leading us astray. We should have, and we should understand, that the unity that we have in Christ is greater than the other ways the world tries to divide us up. This is, I understand, a very countercultural message. This is not the way the world sees it. And you will hear voice after voice after voice saying what I'm saying right now is absolutely wrong. I understand that. I don't agree with that. I really think that what we see scripturally is that the unity we have in Christ is greater than those other divisions. And I really do see that we will all still fall into those divisions. We will still divide on certain things because that's human nature and we, we do keep on sinning. But we are supposed to be those who recognize that when we fall into a pit, that it's actually a pit. And together we're supposed to help each other recognize that and get back out on track. But I will tell you, if that's the way you're viewing things, there are other people who are in the pit who don't want to get out. They do not want to get out, and they don't want anybody else to get out either. And so there will be enemies made if you say, no, 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 we're, we're not going that way. And so it is countercultural, and that does make things challenging. But again, not only is the unity that we have in Christ greater than those uh, other reasons for division, but the power we have in Christ is greater than that too. Verse 17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In other words, and this, we'll look at this again next week, the, uh, the foolishness of the cross. Because what Paul says is, I understand to the, <laughs> to the world that doesn't understand Christ, what I'm saying sounds like the dumbest thing they've ever heard. But if you understand the message of the cross, if you understand that what Jesus has done is, is very, very different than the way of the world, that you understand there's a power there that is not found in the wisdom of the world. In Genesis chapter 4, you're following the line of Cain down to a guy by the name of Lamech. And he gives this whole speech one time. He's like, I killed a man for wounding me. If Cain is avenged seven times and Lamech is avenged 70 times seven. Vengeance to the extreme. Nobody's going to mess with me. Everybody's going to know who I am. This is the way of the world. This is the wisdom of the world. You know where you hear those same numbers again? It's fast forwarding on to Jesus. When Peter says, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? Maybe up to that? Possibly? And Jesus, I think intentionally calling back to the story of Lamech, says, no, you forgive all the way. 70 times 7. This is very different than the wisdom of Lamech who says, 
everybody's going to know who I am. That kind of thing. Instead, Jesus is like, no, you're going to forgive because your purpose is not to let everybody know who you are. Your purpose, your purpose is to let everyone know who God is and what he's like. And if you read that section in Matthew 18, Jesus goes on to then tell a parable. And basically the answer to Peter, when he's like, how many times should I forgive? The basic answer, and I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing here, is, well, how many, how many times should you put up with somebody before you cut them off completely? Before you answer that question, answer this question. How many times do you want God to put up with you before he cuts you off completely? Well, that kind of changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? (laughs) But if our job is not to let people know who I am, but let people know who God is, then the way that I live has to reflect how he is and who he is. And if he is extending grace and forgiveness again and again, if I receive that, I got to give it. I got to be somebody who extends that kind of forgiveness. Read the parable in Matthew 18. You'll see what I'm talking about. And this then is the same thing when you come to the cross and the power of the cross. It doesn't make sense if we're just looking at <laughs> kind of who I am and how nobody messes with me. It doesn't make sense. Sacrificial living, forgiving somebody who doesn't deserve it, doesn't make sense. But as Christians, as those who have received the sacrifice of the Son of God for us because of his love for us, living like that for other people makes all the sense in the world. And we see there a power that cannot be matched. And again, we'll look more at that later for now. Let's consider how we're being discipled. What kind of character is being formed in us? Who are the people who are forming us and shaping us? How is it that we're being formed and shaped? And is it by those who seek to divide even the church because of something that they consider more important? Are we being discipled by Jesus who died to bring us together with God and with people who are even very different than us. I pray that where we have gotten off track, we will recognize it. We will repent and come back. And that where we are on track, God will strengthen us and enable us to persevere even in the midst of cultural forces that are raged against us, that we would know that the unity that we have in Christ is greater than any of these superficial differences. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.